Moto One Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Creative Riding, the motorcycle podcast that brings you two-wheel topics from around the globe. Tonight's show is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, go to www.patreon.com forward slash creative writing to find out more. Now, to our regularly scheduled show, show, Get it on. Let's do this. It is Friday the 13th. Welcome back to Creative Writing. This is episode 191. And thanks everybody for hanging around for 191 episodes. We're closely uh, coming up to 200, which is going to be a milestone, I guess. Um, Hopefully it doesn't land on Spooky Spokes. Oh my God, I'm trying to think nine weeks out from now. Is that Spooky Spokes? I think it's right after. Anyways, uh, Welcome back again. As usual, I will tell you that uh, creative writing does not rely on its sources or its opinions as fact, and uh, some of the stuff we say isn't necessarily the views of creative writing, but sometimes it is, and you'll have to make those decisions on your own. <laughs> but anyways, that's what a crummy disclaimer that was. Uh, first off, I wanted to say thank you so much to Dan from Daily Bikers, formerly Daily Bikers, now Dan Rides Moto. You can find him on the Twitters and probably all over all the other social medias is that. Dan has not been feeling well. Dan is the moto man when it comes to riding in Australia. Australians love bikes. We know that. And they love making movies about crazy guys on bikes, uh, ruining society. We know that. But they also love riding every single type of bike that gets imported to Australia. And Dan is a perfect example of that. And he sent me, um, actually I purchased from him. I think the the price was just to cover shipping. He's getting rid. He was getting rid of some of his uh, previous daily bikers artwork that he had featured on stickers and shirts and uh, calendars and all sorts of stuff like that. And I got the one of the most beautiful, two beautiful examples actually of some of his artwork. I'm gonna be putting those up in the Creative Writing Studio. And the fact that I got them in the post means that Dan's at home rather than in the hospital right now. So. Good to hear that you're back on two, Dan, two feet. I don't know if you're back on two wheels yet. Uh, Speaking of being on two feet and two wheels, Jay, the crazy banana head, took a ride on the banana a couple days ago, and I'd like to report that she was doing pretty good. We know that she went out and ripped the Duke a couple weeks ago and couldn't make it over here um, because her leg hurt too bad. That's the price you pay. For getting on a bike too soon, putting weight on it too soon. Don't do it. Don't put too much weight on it, Jay. Heal up first, or else you're just gonna be like, was it Henry the Eighth that got injured by a horse and then his leg just never healed until it finally killed him? I don't want you to be Jay the Eighth. I want you to heal up and uh, get better. So take it easy and heal long term, so that you're not um, just keep getting jacked up every few months, you know, or every few weeks for that matter. And then you're all old and you can't ride because it hurts too much. Um, so anyway, yeah, she took a rip on the banana, looked like a lot of fun 
And I'm glad that she's on two wheels because I haven't been riding that much lately. I've been kind of like stressed and down. Got out on the BFR last night. I didn't say BFR. That's the beefer. And Honda didn't make the beefer. They made the V-fer. The beefer is my other motorcycle that I sometimes pretend to ride. But the VFR, I got out and ripped that thing around a little bit. Put some air in the tires. Put a few miles on it. And man, and it's been super... Despite um, what you may hear later in the show, it's been beautiful this week as far as weather. I can't believe um, that it's not 5,000 degrees. It is like hovering around like the 80s, even sub 80s and kind of cloudy. The other day it it sprinkled for a half a second. So weird, interesting weather. We usually have some June gloom. We didn't get that this year, but now we're getting some like cool subtropical weather. So it's kind of interesting around here. Climate change for sure. I think so. Uh, anyway, I want to get into a couple things, what's coming up, what's happening. And, oh, also, uh, Jay has a flying banana incorporated now. I think it's a uh, flying banana incorporated at bigcartel.com or something. You can go check out her Instagram for that. She's selling a couple stickers on there. So that's kind of cool. If you want to support Jay and, and, uh, help her pay for her medical bills, $3 at a time. I think that's how that's going to work. Uh, what's happening in the world of motorcycling Let me tell you right quick in about four minutes. Uh, September 5th through 15th, which you're saying, hey, some of that's already happened. Well, listen, up until like this Sunday, you have your chance to go uh, bid on a V4 25th anniversary 916 uh, Ducati Panigale on eBay. And they're auctioning number five of 500 that are made. Number five being Carlin Dunn's race number. And all the proceeds for that bike are going to be uh, given to the Carlin Dunn Foundation. See eBay for details. Um, Just go to eBay and search up Carlin Dunn. You'll probably be directed right to it. Also, I just really heard a good uh, comparison on Slacker Moto Podcast about eBay. It seems like everybody's using Facebook Marketplace nowadays. And I have to admit... I myself have looked on there a few times, like Craigslist and eBay. Like, well, eBay, first of all, so hard to sell on there. Um, I, don't, I barely even shop on there anymore. Craigslist, uh, basically like obsoleting, getting obsoleted by these closer things where you can see people's profiles. Even offer-ups kind of weird. You say something, nobody shows up for like five hours, so then... Uh, or you don't even get a response. You just keep getting all these questions. And Craigslist can be the same way. You get ghosted by these people all the time. On Facebook Marketplace, you can see the person's profile and put a name to the face so that you know somebody weird's not coming to rob you. And you can actually um, kind of get a background, kind of creep these people before they uh, make a huge investment. So it's a little bit more like dealing face-to-face with somebody at a swap meet or something like that. And it makes it a little bit better. And I better. I heard the guys on the Slacker Moto podcast talking about how they prefer Facebook Marketplace uh, over almost everything else. And then I guess secondly would be like OfferUp, and then it would be like Craigslist and eBay. But, uh, anyways, getting back to the res- uh, results, getting back to the race results for this this month's uh, events. Um, we're getting back to the event calendar, September thirteenth through the fourteenth. So today tomorrow and Sunday. Mississippi Mayhem's happening in West Salem, Wisconsin. You know, Mississippi and Wisconsin aren't that close, except for the river runs right through both of them. So Mississippi River, baby. 
uh, starts way up there uh, in the north somewhere and runs all the way down to uh, Gulf and uh, somewhere in Mexico, like the Yucatan, I guess. But anyway, uh, yeah, the Mississippi Mayhem looked like a lot of fun. It looks like a 50s pinup car show, classic bikes, artwork, games, uh, pinup contests, a lot of fun and cool music. So it looks really fun. If you're in Wisconsin and you go to this, take some pics, let me know how it was and uh, send uh, creative writing podcast at gmail.com. Email your pics to us and maybe do a little write up and we'll post it for you on our blog. Uh, September 18th through the 22nd is the Golden Aspen Rally in Ruidoso Downs, New Mexico, not Golden Aspen, Colorado. I know it sounds it's dece- deceptive. Uh, September 21st and 22nd is the Guthrie Motorcycle Swap Meet in Guthrie, Oklahoma. This is the one that we've been talking about for a little while. Uh, it's half bike show, half swap meet, all good times. And if you're in Oklahoma, get a kiss of sheep. September 28th, our good friend at uh, Ghost Biker Explorations, Miranda Young, she's going to be having her season two premiere at White Lightning Harley-Davidson in Chattanooga, Tennessee. She's also got a whole event page of some stuff that's happening. I know she mentioned a party at Club South, and I think she's doing something on the 26th as well. If you go to ghostbikerexplorations.com or look her up on her Facebook page uh, under Ghost Biker Explorations, you'll see all the good stuff that she's going to be up to. And the 28th happens to be, as she told us, National Ghost Hunter Day. So that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, September 29th, the Distinguished Gentleman's Rides happening. That's a worldwide event, so check that out. Check your local Distinguished Ride. I don't think you have to uh, actually donate anything to sign up and get the uh, ride details. Um, but you do have to dress dapper, and a lot of times they're cranky about what type of bikes show up, so you might want to be wary of that. Um, October 19th and 20th, the Classic Motorcycle Mechanics Show in Stafford, UK. It's happening at like the Stafford Showgrounds or something like that. And I think it's the Carol Nash Classic Motorcycle Mechanics Show. Um, just found out about this. It looks really fun. Um, October 23rd, which is a Wednesday, is going to be the last day su- to submit for Spooky Spokes, which is our annual listener-submitted spooky stories, spooky crazy rides, um, spooky location, uh, crazy ghost story, hairy hands of death trying to make you pop a wheelie when you don't want to pop a wheelie, all that crazy stuff. Send those to creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. Record a voice memo on your phone, and when you're done, tap the little email button, send them in that way. Record something on some piece of hardware that you have and email it to us. Uh, Post it on our Facebook page or send us a... Uh, like an instant message with it in there. I think you can record on Facebook and send it. Like, however you have to do it, get it to us. We're going to play it on our show. Or send me something written if you are afraid to speak or you can't speak, and I'll read it in a crappy voice for you. And that's going to be October 23rd because the 26th or 25th is going to be Friday, Friday's episode. And that is going to be Spooky Spooks number four, I believe. Um, October 26th, the Girl on a Moto podcast is opening the Moto Mash Art Show at Mind and Mill in Riverside. There's going to be artists. I think Slay J is going to be one of the artists. Um, our own Flying Banana, Fatty J, is going to be featuring some of her artwork there, I believe. Um, and you can go check out their Instagram for details and a list of who's playing. There's going to be like a DJ. There's going to be a bunch of artists. And usually with motorcycles, there's food and beer and potato chips to go along with that. 
So that'll take us through the end of October. If you guys want more than that, I'll tell you. I also believe that in October, Joe's mini bike reunion is happening, and I'll get a date for that. It might be like the 19th or something. October 27th, Streets of Willow, the little track. Our buddy Brady Walker uh, from Classic Track Day and Ramming Speed Racing is going to be having a spooktracular track track day out at uh, Willow Springs, the Streets of Willow, which is a smaller track. Like I just now said five seconds ago, uh, there's going to be a Saturday night camp out for free with your paid admission. Uh, there'll be a barbecue, some more mini bike challenges and mayhem and some stargazing. And then the track day on Sunday, the 27th. And I think costumes are encouraged, not for the track, but for the pits. And yeah, stargazing is going to be great Saturday night out there. <clears throat> Out there in Lancaster, there's like basically nothing around. You're just you, a coyote, a tumbleweed, and the stars. It's beautiful. Um, Also in October, nope, in November, I think the Hanson Dam ride is happening, which is like the all-British Hanson Dam ride put on by the, it's either the uh, British Bastards or the SoCal Norton Owners Club or something. I think that happens in November. And by this time, all you guys listening in the uh, anywhere like north of the Mason-Dixon line are going to be like in the snow. So it doesn't matter. Does that go all the way across the country? I mean, I know that's only on the extreme East Coast, but I think it goes north there. I don't know what we're going to We're, we're going to have to make a line. We'll make the creative writing line. <laughs> and it'll be a jagged line through the United States where above there, even if it's like beautiful, I'm going to just say you're in snow. And south of there, I'm going to say you're flooded and it's like roasting hot and mosquitoes and zombies are after you because that's what I see on The Walking Dead. And then I'm just going to say, and then SoCal is their own like weird desert climate. Um, so yeah, that is that. And this is this. Let's take a quick break. I'm I'm beside myself with speech and anxiety. So let me take a quick break and uh, come back and tell you some news. Just a bunch of dudes from Utah, man. Taking factory junk and making it theirs whenever they can. Taking wood stalls, making it theirs. That's how they bring us the show they call Talk is for Squares. All right, that is an oldie but a goodie from the Creative Writing House Band for our good friends Slade and Stretch over at the Stock is for Squares podcast. I really miss that show. Fellas, that was a pretty amazing show, and uh, I certainly do miss y'all. All right, everybody, uh, let's get into a couple of tidbits of news this week before we get into the rest of our show. Beep, 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 beep. That's my crummy uh, news ticker there. All right. First off is Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman, uh, famous for their Long Way Round and Long Way Down uh, series where they traveled on uh, adventure bikes across the globe, now doing the Long Way Up, and they are going from the uh, extreme tip of Argentina, Ushuaia, up to one of the craziest places on the globe, Los Angeles, California, and it's pretty gnarly up here. Um, Yeah, and supposedly from what I read today is that they have spotted in Ushuaia or somebody in Argentina, some motor press people spotted four 
live wires and two Rivians, which is an electric truck company. And um, they were spotted down there and it's purported like they're, uh, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but they're thinking that possibly those two may be heading north via the live wire. And that would mean that they're going to be probably, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and assume that would be like roads and that it's a, (laughs) <laughs> there's not a lot of infrastructure from what I understand in Argentina right now for electrics. Although I don't know, I don't drive down in Argentina, but that would be an interesting take and uh, an interesting kind of show the world that it's possible to travel a, a pretty good distance on. Um, it's not like they're going all the way up to Alaska. I mean, that'd be, that'd be pretty epic, but that is pretty good, a pretty good trip. And I'd li- I'd be interested to see how they're doing it all without going off road and stuff. Uh, second on the list, did Suzuki fool us with the Hayabusa rumors earlier? Well, right around December. Back then, I think we mentioned that the Hayabusa was getting killed off due to emissions. And uh, there were several, um, it wasn't on their website for 2019. And there were several publications about it, uh, writing about it and write, telling us about how it would never pass. And it was only going to be for sale in the United States. Uh, and other places because it wasn't passing Euro emissions, which pretty much is like the rest of the world goes off of that. However, I just looked on uh, Suzuki's website the other day, and there's a 2020 Hayabusa listed there, and it looks exactly the same as the 2019 Busa that was only going to be sold last year here uh, in the States. And not only that, but as early as January of last year, all the way till like last week, I saw some amazing news and renderings and even some patent uh, pictures of patent diagrams for a 2021 Busa. And so I'm thinking, did they fool us? Like Suzuki doesn't, Suzuki like kills off more bikes than they make. And and the Hayabusa was just one of those ones that was a uh, fastest production bike um, for a very long time. And I don't know. It's like their flagship sport bike, you know what I'm saying? And uh, to kill it off seemed pretty crazy at the end of an era. But I don't think they were. I think they're just retooling it, basically. I think they, they fooled us. They, they pulled a Machiavellian, Othelian, um, you know, what's the other guy? I'm trying to think of that said he was dead. But he, oh, El, Elvis Presleyan sort of hijinks here by killing off this major thing when really they're not. They're I don't think they can afford to. I think that's their upper end bike, the Busa, the GSXR 650 and the, um, uh, V-Stroms. I mean, that's like basically what they're known for. Uh, and other news, uh, speaking of other bikes that just got redid and they're probably going to get killed off and redid again. Honda, they just redid the CBR 1000 RR in 2017. Like it's literally about three years old and there were some patents, uh, because uh, world Superbike. Uh, really wants everything to be like based on it has to be homologated and it's not like MotoGP where like you know it's especially built for that series it has to be homologated by road legal bikes and the Honda CBR 1000 RR SP is like a way to get around that and the SP1 SP2 both of those packages were available in 2017 you can still get the SP1 but um 
they are like little added bits and stuff that lets you go, oh yeah, you can buy this bike at a showroom. Granted, it's like six or $7,000 more than the regular base one. And then the SP2 was even more than that or something like that. But it's got like way different electronics, titanium uh, exhaust, titanium engine parts, you know, everything. It's like the super hyped up, but you literally you could still buy it. And they're like, yeah, so to race in World Superbike, that's, you know, got to be the key. And that's also why I like World Superbike. You see way more uh, manufacturers in there because they don't have to make a special multi-million dollar bike tested in a wind tunnel that has winglets and all this stuff. They can just throw a road bike in there. But uh, to be competitive, it has to be, you know, it has to have something going for it. So morebikes.co.uk um has some patent drawings on there that has Honda CBR 1000 RR for 2020 having active winglets. And it showed these little things down the side, the little fairings and stuff. According to like your lean angle and the ECU readings, it'll pop winglets out. So what happens on the track trickles down to the street. So your street bikes will now have these little active winglets. You probably won't be going fast enough for them to make any difference, but at least you'll have them. Uh, because they have to be based on production bikes. So it might be another SP2 or SP1 type thing where it's like a few thousand bucks more for all the goodies. And it's basically like a track day only bike. You're not really going to want to ride it on the street because like the suspension's so crazy and everything's set up for going like minimum 100 miles an hour. But um, but they are going to have to homologate it. So we could see a CBR 1000RR, a brand new one, even though they just came out with a brand new one. And it could have active winglets on it. We'll have to see. And probably some weird, like, braking, knowing Honda. Fourth, one, two, three, fourth thing on my docket, automation at its finest. You know, as a society, we love being more efficient and more effective. We love getting rid of things that are ob- that are redundant, like cops. How about police? Let's make police redundant. Wouldn't that be great if there was no police around? Uh, yeah. The problem with that is that you can't argue with technology. And in France, I believe it was France, uh, there are noise cameras. What's a noise camera? Well, it's a camera that has a little decibel reader on it. And when you drive your loud car or your loud truck or your loud motorcycle by, it takes a reading. If it sets off the uh, sensor or sets off the camera, it snaps a pic and voila, it scans your license plate and you get a ticket in the mail. So there you go, automation at its finest. No cops, no DMV, no protesting, no second chance. You just get a ticket and you have to pay it. So now do you like automation and a non-human interaction? Yeah, think about that next time you're on the phone talking to a system that's had like thousands of dollars of AI pumped into it so it can answer your questions. And then hopefully they'll put that into the magistrate's office one day so you can argue with a a virtual judge. So (laughs) screw that. I am going to, I don't know, I'm getting sick of uh, all these things crumbling down onto people like this. Although I don't like loud bikes. I mean, granted, it will be nice when everything's electric and you can yell to your neighbor across the street and you'll be able to hear them without 8,000 rush hour when there's usually 90,000 cars going across the street. Um, it will make theft easier though, too. People will come in and just steal stuff and get away and you won't know because there's no big, loud, powerful van hauling things away. Anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. Marquez, uh, he sets his record 50th premier class win and he matches Mike's Halewood's Mike's, you know, that Mike, that guy, Mike's, um, Mike Halewood's record for 78, I believe it is 
shows how much I know, 78 or 76 uh, all-time wins. Um, so, yeah, this weekend at, uh, I think they were in Brno. Is that where they were? He um, basically checked out, put a put a number fifty up there, uh, half a half a century on his wins, and tied a record. And this kid is just like, I don't know. From what I, I listened to a couple podcasts, I'm not really that much into GP anymore, but I listened to a couple podcasts that follow it, and apparently he is. Uh, has podiumed like nine times out of 10 races this year, even though they said that he crashed at Austin. So I don't know how that happened. Maybe that's one of the times that he didn't get on the podium. But when he does podium, he's either in first or second. So this is Mr. Consistency. This kid is just like pretty amazing. Mark Marquez, 93. He's going to be breaking a lot of records here pretty soon. Um, I think he's going to win his sixth title and he's been riding for like half the time that Rossi has and half and like I don't know Giacomo Agostini actually won quite a bit in a short amount of time but they raced differently back then but I think he will probably uh maybe he'll have a chance at least to beat him uh so we'll we'll have to see but yeah this kid's on a tear man it's kind of interesting to see that he's already putting like records down and this and that and I thought that was kind of interesting I like the guy um, I used to like Lorenzo, but what happened to him? He dried up and fell off the MotoGP grid like a crusty scab off your knee after you fall down skateboarding. Um, last but not least on my little notes here, uh, well, not very last, but sort of last, uh, Briar Bauman is heading up the AFT Twins Championship with just two more rounds to go. Um, yeah, apparently, I think he's like 35 points out in the lead. I started watching the race this weekend. Uh, it was pretty cool. And then, of course, if you step away from your computer for like five minutes, you miss everything and you can't rewind. And then you just have to wait for it to come out on TV so that you can catch what you missed, which is fine because the TV is more uh, condensed. You don't have to watch eight hours of your computer screen and waste a perfectly good day. Just like you would spend it at the races, you can go on TV, see the condensed version. They need to actually make AFT a little bit more uh, TV friendly if they want to run it like they show it on TV. So that's my two cents on that. And finally, last but not least, the Indian Scout 100th anniversary is coming out next year. They got a couple lined up. They got the Scout and the Scout Bobber. They're also going to like a bigger motor. I think it's a 116, uh, just to smash a pie in Harley Davidson's 114 face. Um, And it's the 100th anniversary of the very first Scout and some people might say, oh, well, you know, like Indian hasn't been around for like 100 years. Now they're coming back. There really hasn't been a company for like 100 years. But um, here's what I say to that. It was when the first Scout was made. And also, we have a holiday here in the United States, and I'm sure they have it in Great Britain as well, where we celebrate uh, World War II victory. And um, we don't need to have a war every year, do we, to celebrate that victory and be thankful that it uh, we won it? So I don't think Indian has to have had made a motorcycle called the Scout every single year um, just because <laughs> to validate their Scout. Uh, it, it, the very first one rolled off the assembly line 100 years ago, and now a new one's rolling off the assembly line 100 years later. They could make one every 100 years, and it wouldn't matter. So anyway, that's my rant on that. Indian uh, doing pretty good, and, and some of their stuff is starting to look a little bit better. I was hoping that when uh, Polaris uh, took them under their wing and started develop- developing them, that they would 
kind of put a little bit more of the victory stuff in it. But let's face it, victory is victory. Indian is Indian. They're two separate companies. Just because they're owned by the same company that owned both doesn't mean that they have to uh, rub victory's peanut butter all over um, Indian's chocolate, so to speak. And so they're keeping them separate. But the new baggers that are coming out are really nice. I kind of don't like that, like crazy old classic art deco uh, mega thunder chief or whatever the heck they call that stuff. Um, they're beautiful bikes. I'm not going to say that. I mean, I can't knock that. They're very beautiful. Even Harley Davidson's are beautiful in their own way. Just not my style. But some of the stuff I've seen coming out is it's starting to look sort of like the Harley baggers that I like. Now the Indian baggers look really nice and they're kind of matching up with like the Kawasaki baggers that I like. So yeah, that is, uh, actually that's it for the news for what I got. We are going to roll into a interview put on by our very own Chris Wiggins. He was out a couple weeks ago um, with a little boy named Jasper. That didn't actually come out that well, but uh, like I didn't mean it exactly like that. But well, just listen to the interview. You'll, you'll hear what I mean. We just had a day at Milestone, a little practice session, getting back on the bike for both of us, really. So Jasper, tell us um, how old you are now. And uh, I kind of gave away what you do, but tell us what you race and what you ride. I am 11 years old. I ride a, a Honda 85, a 100, a 100 uh, Honda, uh, and a, 80, a Husqvarna 85. All right. Well, Husky's making some moves in the flat track scene, huh? Yeah. They kind of, I don't know, with the with the switch to KTM for the texter, but... Um, so let's see, where do we, we... So we went out to Milestone today and did some riding. We yeah. did pretty good. We worked on some stuff. Um, do you think you think it helped you out today? you think it's going to help you out of the race? For sure. What... Yeah. Um, so what part did you like the most? I like learning how to back it in. Okay. And just kind of trying to push myself more. Good. That's a good good example i think so let's see how old were you when you started racing flat track i was six yeah okay man so you got five years huh yeah i think that's as long as i've been racing flat track it feels like yesterday for you it feels like forever ago huh yeah (laughs) so let's see where do you usually race at uh usually paris but we like to go to arizona because they always have a good track uh, what classes do you run? I run the 85 two-stroke class, uh, the 85 open class, and the 100 uh, four-stroke class, usually. Oh, okay. The 100 novice and 85 beginner. So do you race all those in the same evening? Uh, usually, yeah. That's a lot of racing. Yeah. All right. Um, what would you say your short-term racing goals are? Uh better <laughs> oh. all right try to win more i guess okay um what do you think you could work on to do that then uh just try to do what you try, you uh we i learned today that's definitely a little bit of it yeah. you should have saw my list of notes i had for practice today we only got through like two of them <laughs> i was like what could we work on what can we do this is this could be some good stuff that's good. Um, 
Let's see. So we definitely we did some drills for trying to uh, drive the drive the bike in a little bit deeper, um, hold the throttle on longer, and use the rear brake and the you know the slide the bike to scrub speed. So that's definitely good. I, that's some um, you know I think a little practice. Be patient, but it's good. It's a good uh, good thing to learn. I think it'll help you out a little bit. And I you know if you can get the bikes turned a little bit and and slowed down in the entrance, you can get it then pointed the right way and make your straightaway a little longer so um let's see so when you were six and started racing what kind of bike were you on then i was on a honda 50 okay for a while yeah so that would be the little xr crf 50 yeah i think so big difference to the 85 huh yeah the power band's a lot bigger <laughs> it's like a lot faster yeah lot, like more get up and go yeah so what uh, what do you enjoy about flat track compared to other motorcycle racing? Uh, I feel like the community is really good. It's definitely true, yeah. especially with flat track, yeah. And the people who we've met in it, and just like, oh, hey, I'm having a race this weekend, and then like three or, like then it's like a bunch of people would come out and just kind of have fun trying to, because like usually we go to Paris and it's like the same competition but then sometimes me and my dad go to some somewhere else mm -hmm. and it's like different competition and it's really fun just to know like who's out there and stuff okay um let's see what would your long-term goal for racing be then so your your short terms is just kind of to win some more races yeah. and and work on a little bit of technique but what would your long-term be mine would be like to maybe go to the nationals in a couple of years and win that'd okay. be really good or just to make it to the pros someday okay yeah i mean that's definitely good it's definitely you know you got a long a long time but it's a possibility like you know you just you put your head down and keep working on stuff and it's it could happen um and I, i'm short on questions i forgot what to ask i should probably like purple helmet and everything so hmm, what if uh if you gotta pick any bike that you could ride what kind of we'll start with a flat track bike so what kind of bike would you like to just take a few laps around a track on uh, maybe now or maybe in a few years when you're a little older like if i was older i'd say one uh, one of the new indians they seem like they handle really well like Especially how they come out of the factory. Yeah, that's, I can't argue with that. It's yeah. probably a good choice. Yeah, they're really nice motorcycles right off the showroom floor. So, and you know they're winning races right off the showroom floor. So that's that's definitely pretty cool. Yeah. What? Um, so besides flat track, do you ride any other kinds of motorcycles? Uh, not right now. But uh, I thought you had nobbies on the husky. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes we do TT. Okay. And so. But my mom doesn't let me do like motocross or whatever. So it, but TT is really fun just because it's like flat track, so I already know what to do. Mm -hmm. But it's like a little bit, a couple of jumps. Yeah. Well, good. Um, let's see. If you could uh, pick any track in the world that you wanted to go ride, what track would that be? Uh, I'd like to ride. Spring at the Springfield Mile because it looks pretty good always. 
It's a good choice. They're racing there today. Yeah. And tomorrow. Yeah. Um, that's a good choice. I've had an opportunity to get in a mile, and it was insane. But I'm really glad that I did it. Yeah. I've only gone on, like, a quarter mile is the biggest, so it's, like, it'd be really interesting to actually go, like, on a mile. Yeah. It's, it's different. Yeah. Maybe someday. I mean, especially, you know start get a little older start racing 450s there's definitely an amateur mile day um go up to sacramento it's a it's a treat it's scary but it's a treat let's see so who's your biggest competition uh right now it's either uh sierra hickerson colin penton or travis horn all right and but it's like a really hard to beat travis because he's like the number one in the nation and it's like that's kind of just like who races at my track is like really fast kids yeah but that's also a good thing because that makes you race with those fast kids right so if you're racing with number one in the nation all the time you know that that shows that you could be close to that you know and it's like a, a way bigger treat to win and that's kind of like why my short-term goal is to win more just because it's such a big treat to win against those kids like i've only beaten travis once yeah and it like it's just because they're all so fast and they and i'm it's my first year on the 85 and for them it's like their third or fourth mm-hmm. and so it's just a really big difference yeah, and I took a few laps on that 85 today, too, and I have to say I forgot how wicked those little two-strokes were. Yeah. That thing was no joke. <laughs> it was a screamer. Um, but that's good, you know? I mean, you're it puts you against really talented kids like that with really nice bikes, and you're out there keeping up and putting it to them. There's a lot to be said for that, and it's, it's good that you have that goal um, and that you don't get frustrated with getting beat by him because, you you know, you never know. And we've talked about it before. There's a lot of things that happen in life and in the next few years. And, and you know, just a lot of it, you know, you look at a lot of the pros. You know, earlier we talked about Carver, who won his first national in 2013 and didn't yeah. win one again until 2017. Yeah. Um, we were talking about Greg Hancock, who won a world championship in 1997 and didn't win another world championship until 2014, 15, something like that. So, you know, it's it's good to have that competition and to ride with those people and to, to keep your head up and to keep focused with it and uh, and to be having a good time with it. You know, I think that's most important, especially at your age. And you have, like, this this graph of, like, you're, you're a young kid and you're having fun then you're a young adult and you need to be serious and try to win races if that's what you want to go do and then as you get older the winning races goes away and you just want to have fun again (laughs) so and like carver says just keep having fun like if you're out there having fun you're gonna go fast yeah so you can't help it because going fast on a motorcycle is fun right for sure it's like whenever I feel like whenever I have a lot of fun, like I do a lot better. Yeah. Like I Queens Creek in Arizona, uh, I always have like a bunch of fun, so I usually I'm like able to like compete with like a lot of the older guys on like minis and my dad too, mm-hmm. and it's just a lot of fun. Good. Um, what else would you like to tell us? 
like to race with my dad. <laughs> it is good. So yeah. I think that's good, you know, and I think listeners should know. So, oh, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute, too. So you race with your dad a lot. He's yeah. definitely your biggest supporter, right? For sure. Um, biggest financial supporter, especially. <laughs> yeah. Because you don't have a job. You're going to have to get one soon. So, but it's a good time, right? You think he likes racing with you? Uh, yeah. You think so? Yeah. I, I bet that's probably a lot of the reason he races, huh? Yeah. I get it. I understand. So, yeah. So tell us, a few months ago, you were at Willow Springs at the Eddie Mulder event, right? Yeah. And what happened? Uh, I was going out, uh, so all the pros were there because, uh, I think the next weekend it was the half mile at Paris, and so, uh, all the pros had went out and all the other bikes, and the younger kids went out, and they they ran us one more time, and I was going, like, 60, I think, which is the fastest I've ever gone, and I started to wobble and I hit a rush and I got pitched over the handlebars and I put my arm out to stop myself and my arm broke into uh fractured in two places mm. and I got a hairline fracture and it's just been hard trying to get back but I think today it was really good just to have the help and I think I'm just going a little bit faster than yeah. I might have been before I crashed but it's like my confidence had been really down mm-hmm. and so it, it was just really good to go out today and actually like start going fast again we're good you know I think it's definitely hard I mean going down like that at that speed you know and uh, you were on your 85 Honda right yeah yeah I mean you know what gear you were in uh I think I was in third or fourth I think I was in fourth Probably. uh that day I was I was doing really well. I was, like, ducking down, and I, uh, and I was, like, shifting before the turns, which I usually don't do, and I just kind of started to do, just because I was getting really fast, and I started to wobble, and I had crashed, and I, like, slid for a while. Yeah. And my... Willow is a fast track. I mean, that's why so many pros are out there for that race. I mean, Eddie Mulder puts a lot of money up, but it's a fast racetrack. Um... The, the pro class, there's an open pro class, and they all run twins, except for Carver on the Ron Wood bike. So that gives you an idea how fast that track is. And, again, I rode your 85 today, and that thing's a screamer. It pushed me around that track pretty quick. I was surprised. So so that's good. So you're you're all healed up now? Your fractures are good? Yeah. Uh, it, it took about... Uh, six weeks for me to be able to get back on the bike again. Mm-hmm. Four weeks to get out of my sling, but like after two weeks, my mom, uh, my mom and my dad were like, "Okay, you're not, you can't really race in, for another two weeks." And so, uh, yeah. But once I got back on it, it was like I was putting around. But that weekend there was like a Paris race, and I whatever. I didn't do that well, mm-hmm. but still just the fact that I was able to get back on it was pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, racing for a lot of people isn't, it's not winning the race. It's winning a battle with yourself sometimes too. And especially after a big crash like that, that's part of it. Um, you know, I had to explain to someone that when I used to run Speedway, I could go out and win a, win a heat race and not ride that well 
and be real bummed or I could go out and be in fourth because there's only four riders and I could ride a really good four lap race and I'd be super excited even though I was in fourth um and crashing's definitely different um but you know that you know getting back up and getting on the horse again as they say is is definitely a huge accomplishment and that's good you know it, it, it believe it or not like down the road it prepares you for a lot of battles in life like that too so that's a definitely a good thing you know it's it's tough and you know going out today and watching you be a little timid at the beginning and then you know going out and riding next to you and kind of battling with you and seeing how your riding style changed was good it's good to see that and to to see that improvement come along and see you get comfortable on the bike again so uh what else you want to say anything else Do you have any sponsors you'd like to thank? Oh, yeah. Um, thank you to Cycle Gear. Uh, thank you to American Speed and Machine. Thank you for, to Russ Brown. Thank you for uh, Hunting Tin Beach Honda. And thank you to Micah Metals. All right. Sounds good. And some buddies of mine at Glendale Harley help you out a little bit, too? Yeah. All right. Um, good. And if anyone out there would like uh, to send their money somewhere, Jasper can always use some tires. We shredded some up today pretty good. Um, oh, yeah. And APV Mototech. All right. And some grips and some, some gasoline and oil for the little Honda. So uh, if you guys need, get a hold of the show, and we'll, we'll set you up if you need a little tax write-off. So... <laughs> Peace and axle grease, and thanks for tuning in. Yeah, hey, Junkie, I, uh, Moto G Pete here from the Noka Moto Podcast. I thought I'd just give you a call. Our analytics data for the podcast, it's kind of changed up. I was checking our numbers, you know, to see if that ad spot had done anything for us yet. But all of a sudden, like, my screen is frozen. In fact, my whole, like, computer is locked up, and it's just showing me a big picture of a pickle. Um, I'm wondering if maybe you had any similar issues going on with your data. Um, wait, uh, hold on. Someone's at the door. Do you hear that? That is the sound of silence. Are you tired of having your ears filled with noise? Are you tired of that noise being the sound of your own exhaust? Your own screams of panic as you crash your Aprilia Fratura off a cliff? Are you tired of listening to your family and friends call your sweet, sweet baby a murder cycle? Well, try Saginati earplugs. They're guaranteed to keep you from hearing most ambient noise. That includes the low-frequency wind noise that other helmets seem to miss. Sirens, horns, Harley-Davidsons, pedestrians screaming, Hey, look out, you're gonna run over that baby! All these and more filtered straight out of the old sound pipes thanks to Saginati's patented design. Do you want to block out all oral input from your ride without the hassle of having to go electric? Try Saginati, and you'll never hear again. Saginati earplugs. Our motto is... 
Aris Sajanati. Aris Sajanati. earplugs. Earplugs so good, you won't hear yourself thanking yourself for buying a pair. All right, coming up next, we have another interview. And we're going to roll right into it. Jay's going to take over on this one. And then we'll close out the show. But a person needs new experiences. First off, I always like to start off with some cheesy small talk, like how is the weather there? Because I, I can only imagine that it's... Uh, just as humid as it is here right now. We're kind of having like this unseasonably humid weather this year. Mm. Um, yeah, it's really nice right now. It's beautiful. It's almost like LA. Um, it is a little bit humid. Um, it's about 75 degrees today. Um, we had some thunderstorms earlier in the week, I think from uh, from the hurricane, but yeah, weather's great right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's actually not that bad. Um, the garage where we record in is always a humid, hot mess, unless it's wintertime, and then it's like an icicle. But it's actually wasn't too bad here today either. I thought, what a beautiful day for a ride. And, man, it's it's turning back into California weather. I heard you mention that it is almost like L.A. I'm going to spoil – I might spoil some of Jay's stuff. You, you're actually a <laughs> former L.A.ite, correct? Yeah, I was born and raised. You know? Yeah, oh, okay, cool. So, yeah, it's a big change going over to Connecticut. I'm sure you're going to um, have to, you know, climatize to four actual seasons <laughs> yeah. instead of just like hot and uh, more hot with like a little bit of rain sprinkled in here and there. <laughs> but, yeah. well, I, I remember uh, David had a post on Instagram when he was there last year and he had like his, it was your bicycle, right? In yeah. the snow. Yep. <laughs> right. It's coming. It's yeah. coming. <laughs> so that's rad. And um, I, yeah, I don't want to step too much on Jay's, Jay's part of this. So I'm going to be very careful how I word this. But um, what are you doing in New York or not New York, Connecticut? What are you doing up there in Connecticut? And like why the departure from LA? And also being creative writing, I know you're on two wheels. So I got to know what you're writing. Um, okay, well, I'm here um, in New Haven. I'm a graduate student I'm getting my master's in uh, sculpture at the Yale School of Art. Oh, cool. And um, I'm riding a KLR 650. Okay. Nice, nice. Such a true creative writer. And also, I couldn't tell you how impressed I am that Yale has a school of art. I always thought they just had like schools of like lawyers and fancy pantsness. And I don't even know what the degrees would be called, but I'm pretty sure that the school of art, um, sounds like a lot of fun. And, and uh, in Connecticut, man, Yale is, is Yale in Connecticut? I always thought Yale was okay. I have my New England that's, see, that's history. That's what I told David, too, when he was like, he got into Yale. I was like, I don't want to sound stupid. I have no idea yeah. where that school is. Yeah. That's how, like, out of touch I am. It's in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, honestly, this is how embarrassing it is. I thought it was in London. Oh, Yale? Yeah. It, is there, it, what wait. is in London? What school is in London? Um, London, London University. Harvard? Harvard? Uh, Where's Harvard? <laughs> no. Massachusetts? Oh, yeah. yeah, Harvard. Yeah, it's in... Cambridge, Cambridge. Yeah, but also Cambridge, also London. Cambridge is is where Massachusetts. Cambridge, Massachusetts. I think I think so. I should I should know. Yeah. This, but, yeah. <laughs> this is why I would never get accepted to higher learning institution because I don't even know where the hell they are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all I all I know for sure is that MIT is in 
Massachusetts because that's what the M stands for, right? <laughs> for MIT. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that Cambridge is, uh, or Cambridge, I don't want to get punched by any New Englanders because I know they're very particular about how they pronounce stuff. But yeah, I'm pretty sure Yale is in wherever David is, and I'm pretty sure that um, Harvard is wherever he's not. So <laughs> that's, that's the extent of my New England knowledge. And a KLR 650, I think I just had a talk with the... Um, they didn't air it on their show. It was kind of like a B-roll stuff, but uh, the, the guys and I from Nokomoto were just talking about one of the best bikes in the world, and KLR 650 was my choice just because that thing's been around since, like, the early 80s, and it's mm-hmm. only changed really significantly once, um, three times if you count, like, some minor stuff. But that is one of those bikes. Like, my buddy used to have a Chevy C10 back in the... 2000s and it was like a 1970s something and i'm like man you know this old old chevy but he loved it because you could go to a a pet boys or something and still buy parts for these like 1968 and later uh chevys because they all believe it or not up into the 2000s still use the same parts and klrs to me are the same sort of thing like you can there there's clubs for these things there's there they are the quintessential adv bike before the uh, 1200 GS came out, you know, before BMW, uh, got famous for being like an adventure bike. KLR 650s were the OG adventure bike. So there's so many people out there, so many clubs, so many mods and so many, um, cool things like accessories for them. And I I know for a fact that they can, um, conquer the snow. So you made a really Mm -hmm. good choice. I thought that's a good bike. I just want to tell you before we learn anything else about you, um, that you've got one hell of a bike there. So I think that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, David, were you asking me about riding in the snow? I thought we had that conversation. Yeah, I did, but I don't, I don't know if I'm having the nerve to actually do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, listen, Uh, being from LA, when it gets down below like 45 or, you know, 30 uh, degrees, you're going to ask yourself, do I have the nerve to walk outside right now? I'm yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. The, he, there, he, he braved the snow last year, I remember, because when I oh saw him when God. he came back to California, I was asking him all about it. He was all yeah, never was again. <laughs> but you got to do it for school, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, never again, hashtag until next year. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, Jay. Wait, so, let me, let yeah. me uh, yeah, yeah, introduce, I'm let you take just, off here. like, talk about how we got became friends and why he's on Yeah, here. for sure. Yeah? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn myself down and shut up unless I have something poignant to say. You take over. So, um, David and I met at, we work at, we worked at the same place in Los Angeles. And so I'll tell my side, David, and then maybe you can see if this, if this cooperates with your, your side of okay. the story. But, uh, so yeah. he hey, Jay, was, before you start, I want to say if David's side involves like this crazy chick and like uh, uh, doing uh, wheelie, uh, I'm going to believe his side more than your side. Okay. <laughs> just to let you that, know. I, that's totally in line with my side. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so we, uh, we met at the place that we worked at and, um, I remember when I walked in that day, the first day that he was there, I saw a scooter outside. And so being the two-wheeled maniac that I am, I immediately had, like, my, my eyes turned into, like, searching who in the building owned this two-wheeled vehicle. Like, who was it? And so I was like, you know. And what, like, what, what uh, was it besides the scooter? What, what type of scooter was it? It's a Vespa P200. Oh, dang. That's Yeah, that's, a, like, a legit sports it's scooter. It's OG. Yeah, it's OG. So I was like, okay. 
So I'm just like trying to like the Terminator, you know, I have like these things and I'm like x-raying everybody. And so then I'm asking people and then somebody, I think somebody told me, they're like, oh, that's uh, David's. And I was like, okay, (laughs) that is my new buddy. (laughs) (laughs) So I like walk over to him and then we get to talking and I'm pretty sure that I immediately brought up the conversation about the scooter and I think from that point on, I just uh, bugged him <laughs> all the time whenever we, I would see him and we'd be chatting. And uh, when he told me he was leaving, I was like, I insisted on uh, staying in contact. And then I think at one point, uh, I, I don't remember if I asked or you had mentioned, but we talked, the conversation got brought up about uh, going across the country on two wheels. Do you remember who brought that up? Yeah, I think it was you. Well, you were asking me first like if I was going to get a bigger bike at some point. And I said, yeah, I really want to someday. And then, yeah, the conversation moved to that, like, um, you know, thinking about like traveling cross country on it because I knew I had to go back to school. So, yeah, I remember we we got into it and we were discussing kind of like the pros and cons of it. And um, I was like, yeah, I was totally, of course, being who I am always encourage these types of uh, activities and decisions (laughs) because that's how I am. And so we were talking about his uh, Vespa and what, what he would have to plan for taking it, how realistic it was. And me knowing a bagel from the misfits pod, I was like, it's totally plausible and possible. It has been done it's not something that's impossible. It just takes modifications and lots of preparation. And so as the conversation went on, like discussing what he would need to pack and like um, tools, and then we started talking about how his bike was older. I think we both kind of came to the conclusion that even if it was possible, it might be problematic and be more stressful and more of a headache. Mm-hmm. Than he would want to take on because you know especially if you've never done something like this you don't want to like be on this very long massive ambitious trip and then break down halfway through and you know it just becomes a lot more trouble than it's worth mm-hmm. at that point yeah so david if jay had not talked you into the klr which i'm assuming is what happened i don't know i don't think i talked to him into the okay. KLR. if you hadn't got that would you have ridden across or try uh, attempted to ride across on a p200 then uh yeah i was i was gonna try but yeah again like once we once i started looking at kind of the reality of the trip and stuff and also my my scooter yeah, is older and stuff it it didn't seem like a good idea to try it right now Yeah, and I got to say that when I was talking to David in person, I remember we had discussed this, and I had said something about, like, going on a long-distance trip on the Vespa, and then he's talking about, like, going cross-country on it. And I have to say to all of the listeners that I looked in his eyes and I saw that special spark that you can recognize as a diehard motorcyclist. It's a certain look that you get in the eye where it's like a faraway distance and there's like a fire burning. And I, that's when I knew David was a real one. <laughs> <laughs> You're right on. I was like, okay, he has that. Like he has that thing, that like intangible, hard to describe passion for two wheels. And the fact that he would even consider doing it on the Vespa, I was like, I had mad respect for him. Definitely for that in the first place, you know, 
let alone for what he did actually do. Yeah. So, how, how long have you been riding, like overall? Um, yeah, I got my license <laughs> about two years ago. No kidding. And you were hard a hard convert to the uh, two wheel life. Yep. <laughs> how often did you ride the the Vespa in LA? I'm sorry, how often? Yeah, like how frequently? Um, yeah, pretty much every day. Cause I didn't um I sold my car and yeah, I was I was right. It's like my main transportation over there. So why don't you tell the listeners how it's like uh tran- uh commuting in LA on a scooter? What what was that like? Um well, yeah, I'll start with, like, the benefits of it. Um, it's really good on gas, and you can get through traffic very easily. Um, very maneuverable um, in, like, thick traffic and stuff. It's great for, like, carrying groceries. Like, you can do all your errands and stuff on it. Um, parking is easy, easier than a, than a, you know, a bigger motorcycle. You can mm-hmm. park it anywhere. Like, that's really, that's really great. Um, like, the more, I think, like, the challenges of it is that it's not as visible, Um yeah, people are always cutting me off. Mm. Um, and also the power. I, w- I wish it had, like, a little more power, too, so you could accelerate out of, you know, dangerous situations better. Um, but, yeah, overall, it's, it's it's a great way to get around Los Angeles. You know, the weather's good all the time, pretty much all the time. And, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. That's nice. Did you have how, – how often would you say you had close calls? Um... Well, they started to, like, get less, like, the more experience I got. Like, when I first started riding, like, pretty much, like, every time I went out, Oof. you know. So, that was... that, And also, yeah, the Vespa, like, the brakes aren't that good. So, yeah, like, that, that like, added to it. But, you know, I'm glad I started on that bike because um, it got me... It got me used to, like, being able to get out of situations, like, when I don't... When I'm not able to stop, like, mm-hmm. you know, make those maneuvers and stuff. And now that I have the KLR, which has, like, you know, pretty good brakes and everything, that's good brakes. Yeah, good brakes and stuff. It's really, it's really helpful, you know, not, yeah, to be able to ride like that. Yeah. The the P200 has uh, drums, right? Yeah. Yeah. Drum brakes. <laughs> yeah, drums. You know what is the funny thing is I was just thinking about this the other day myself as I'm lane splitting from Pasadena uh and I went on to what well, I forget what freeway it was, but it was like super narrow. And you know how that goes. Like there's some freeways mm-hmm. that are awesome to split on and other ones that are just like, dang, I can't believe I even fit through here. And I'm not even on a bagger, you know, but I was thinking about, cause I started out riding on my friend's old janky bikes. And then I, you know, the first bike that I owned myself was my SR250 and it has, um, you know, it's a 250, it has dual drum brakes and I geared it to go like 85, you know, I think I've hit 90 on it a couple times, but learning to ride that thing around town and in LA traffic and all that stuff, uh, when I first moved up here, um, I think it benefited me more because then you gotta be, you don't have the power to just like give us, drop a gear and get out of the way. You gotta like really be watching more for people, um, to interact with you. And when I lived in San Diego, I didn't feel like it was that bad. Like traffic down there has now gotten really bad, but I've lived in LA for like 15 years now. It was like, once I moved to LA that I was like, Whoa, I gotta be careful. And like things stack up pretty quickly here. And I, and I was just thinking the same thing that you just said. I'm glad I learned to ride on that first because you don't have the stopping power and you don't have the get out of the way power. So you have to learn to adapt to your situation, right? Because sometimes when I'm riding, uh, later I got, um, 
uh, Magna after that, and that thing was just like all go. So I was like, whoa, I'm I'm mm-hmm. like, <laughs> this is it's so different. And I think that I, says something for uh, the licensing standards they have in Europe because that's why they do the tiered system, you know, because. It is a progression learning as a writer. You know, I started out on a Rebel 250 myself. And like now that I have, I just have the 650, but still it's like totally world's difference. And it helped me a lot as far as like getting more comfortable on a bike that's not as powerful and then being able to transition up from there. Yeah. Yeah. And the scooter is so much fun just because like you said david they can carry you know they kind of come with some built-in storage that people don't think about Mm -hmm. and it's a one reason why on in other parts of the globe like they're the the gold standard instead of buying a you know five times the price family sedan you go out and get a scooter and not only are you cruising you know ripping through the the back alleys and really skinny um, you know, streets and little, little byways, but you're also going to the store and that's how a lot of people get around. So you kind of fit in, you know, like, I think it's cool. I would have been, do you have that in, uh, with you in Connecticut or did you leave it out here? No, it's, it's in uh, LA. Yeah. That would have been kind of cool to t- see how you take it back there. Cause there's people that do iron butts on scooters and they do like full, you know, global trips on scooters too. So it is, mm-hmm. a, it is a thing, but I agree with you. Like, the maintenance and the preparation is like tenfold compared to what it's like just jumping on a 650 and being able to cruise. <laughs> cruise mm-hmm. around. Uh, hey, th- David, did you take the um, the motorcycle like uh, MSF course or did you take the DMV? Yeah, I took the MSF course. Okay. Did, did, how did you find that? Was that beneficial or? Very, very much. Actually, I got my uh, learner's permit and the Vespa before thing about let's see a few months before um and i was just riding it around and stuff and you know it was like super dangerous like you know what i better take this class and yeah i took it and it was so helpful just like learning the you know very basic like techniques of emergency braking and swerving and just like um you know low speed maneuvering and also like the you know things they taught us in the classroom about gear and all that stuff was really really helpful and like, I still think about that class. That's good. Yeah, that's what I always tell everyone. I, I am a huge proponent of taking those classes, not only the entry-level one, but also the mid-level one. Just because, yeah, I want to go back and take yeah. some, some more later. The intermediate one is really great. I highly recommend it. I'm actually going to retake it just because of my recent accident and everything. I want to sharpen up some skills and remind myself about maybe some, some things that I – gotten out of the habit of doing so i'm writing safer you know mm. um so going back to uh have, how you had the scooter and then talk so we both agreed that the scooter would be too much trouble to take across um in the time period because you wanted to do it on, on a two-week timeline right yes and so we started discussing what types of bikes would be more viable and so I think we discussed, I mentioned sport tours um, and ADVs. And so we were kind of focusing on that genre, um, discussing the pros and cons, what was available, what was out there. And so then um, I believe you had, at, did, at what point did you like decide in your mind that you were going to get uh, like a bike, a motorcycle? Um. Hmm. Think like uh, beginning of the summer, like May. Yeah. 
and I was looking. I was just, I, you know, I got home from school and I was looking at my my uh, scooter and I seen how much work it needed, like what I would actually need to do to, um, you know, go on the trip. And I was like, for that, you know, I could I could almost get a bike. Mm. So that's when I decided to get it. To yeah, get the, and the I want to be completely honest. You did surprise me, and it's not not you, but just like people in general. A lot of people will say things like I've said so many things like I want to go cross country, right? So I, I've said that many times. I've heard other people say that. But then when you got the bike, <laughs> I was like, he is for real. Like, I, I really have definitely mad respect because I was like, okay, he is dedicated. He's not just talking the talk. He's about to walk the walk. And mind you, you said you had your license for about two years, right? Yeah. So you were going from only, you had never been out of state on the scooter? No. So you had only ridden in California, and now you were going to the destination of where you currently are yep. in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. And so how many miles is that? Uh, it's about 3,000. Wow. Okay, so you're going to go on a 3,000-mile trip. That's insane. So when we started discussing the ADVs, what, what kind of started speaking to you as far as what bike to choose? Um, I think I had three... I was looking at uh, the KLR, um, the DR650, and the XR650L. And you went, did you do all of your research online, or did you go any any particular dealerships or anything? Yeah, I went to the first, uh, the dealership, I forget, I think it's um, P- I'm sorry, PCH Power Sports in mm-hmm. uh, Marina Del Rey. Um so I, I was always going in there to buy my two-stroke oil and stuff, and um, they're a Kawasaki dealer. So they actually had a KLR, and I was able to sit on it and stuff. And then, like, as soon as I sat on it, I felt, like, how comfortable it was. And, like, that became, like, my top choice. And then um, the other ones, like, I wasn't able to see them I mean, in person at first. But, um, yeah, like, I did research on them online, and then the KLR um, was still, like, my top choice. Yeah. You know, what's funny, the XR is also one of those very long-standing, um, I mean, I forget how long it's been around, but it's one of those, it kind of rivals the KLR in, like, length of time out. But the, the uh, you said the DR650, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, those are, like, to me, a little bit overlooked because Suzuki doesn't really build them as, like, a ADV bike. It's more of, like, they build their... Um, the DL, which is the V-Strom, you know, as their oh. ADV bike. So I think those those DRs have always kind of uh, seemed to me like they'd be like a really cool bike to get and a really cool bike to try out and hear somebody's experience on that. But because the price is a little bit better, but I don't think since they're, I don't think they have the, uh, like the background that the KLR has and the, like we were talking earlier, like the, um, the group, you know, there's so many people have owned KLRs and said that they're bulletproof, even, even more so than the Hondas and, and, uh, or to some degree the Hondas. And so it's really, I, I think you picked the right bike, but it's cool to hear which ones you got, you were looking at, you know, like that, that's funny that you kind of like targeted the six fifties and you're like, I'm going to go for those. Yeah. Also yeah, I think the range we, oh. too. I'm sorry. No, go well, it's ahead. It's got that huge tank on it, the KLR. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was that was really attractive too um, for this trip. Nice. And did you were you able to average how many miles to a gallon you were getting? Um, hmm. I didn't keep track too well, but um, 
See, I was spending about ten, fifteen dollars a day on fuel. Oh, that's not bad. And I was traveling about two hundred and fifty miles a day, I think. Okay. That's not bad. Um, so then so you were at the PCH and then um so you definitely zeroed in on the KLR. So then what was the next step? The next step? Yeah. Before to oh, getting the bike. Oh, I was gonna say buy the bike, oh, throw the money down. <laughs> yeah, I was just, yeah, I was just shopping around and stuff. Um, I, you know, um, I've been going to the PCH Power Sports for like since I was a kid, like with my little um, go peds and stuff, like getting different things. That's like, I like that place a lot. But unfortunately, they didn't have any um, when I was when I was ready to buy it. So I ended up going to um, to Burt's and I found mm-hmm. a good price on one. Nice. And I got and- it over there. Yours is a 2017. Yes. Nice. And then, go ahead. So you. I was saying that you recommended Birds to me, and I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that's where we got um, we got Ashley's bike from. So they they treated us pretty good over there. And and you had gopeds and stuff, so you've always been sort of the two wheel life. I mean, whether, I mean, starting out on me, I don't care if it's mini bikes or go pads or whatever. Like that's, sounds like you kind of had like the, uh, got the bug. Yeah, that, that counts. Yeah, it counts. <laughs> yeah. So you actually been on two wheels for a little bit. Yeah. Since I was like, I got first when I was in my freshman in high school and yeah, I've been, yeah, I love anything two wheels. I love it. Like Especially if it has an engine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yep. yeah, I know you said you ride, you ride bicycles too, and you and yeah. I talked a lot about on that topic as well, because I love like bicycles and motorcycles. I'm two wheels mo- with a motor and without a motor, but definitely with the motor, it's more fun. <laughs> yep. All right, so you got the bike and you started preparing. Um, what were some things that you did to prepare for your big ride? Because this is like... I was trying to give you tips, but even I haven't done a ride this like long and lengthy and and uh, just massive. So what what were the ways you prepared? I think the first thing I did was to plan a route. I, I spent um, you know a couple months just trying to like see which way I would take to get there. That would be you know like um, still like within my skill level and. You know, try to avoid, um, you know, a lot of the interstates and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, actually, I got this book. It's called um, Easy 66 Guide. And it has, like, a route of um, Route 66 that, like, keeps you off a lot of the interstate and stuff. So I used that and just, like, pieced together my route. Like, that was the first thing I did. And then um, after that, after that, and I got the motorcycle, it was just riding as much as I could so I could get used to the bike and like not have to think about you know like the little finer like technical parts of riding and i can just yeah just ride without thinking get like Mm -hmm. real comfortable on it how was that how was that like being on the bike for the first time oh it was it was fun it was really really exciting because like compared to the vespa it has so much power and it's like (laughs) it's really it's really exciting and um did you pop a wheelie no. <laughs> no. Hey, my friend Sarah popped a wheelie on her Sport 200. Uh, so scooters aren't unwheeliable, dude. They're just you just gotta hit that power band right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm still working on the on the wheelies and stuff. But yeah, it was cool. Like I took it home. Um, I rode it back from Burt's with my girlfriend, and yeah, and I was just really amazed, like how how smooth, how much smoother it is, and like 
how um yeah how i can accelerate and stop easily and all that mm. stuff it was it was cool and then yeah it was just a you know i just like took it took it easy so i could get comfortable on it like i was comfortable on the vespa nice so how how so it sounds like the learning curve was pretty pretty like low it wasn't a super difficult bike to transition into no it it was it was cool it's like it's very um forgiving and um yeah you just got to just got to get used to having a much you know heavier heavier vehicle and um also having like the you know everything in between your legs rather than just like sitting there right, right. in a chair or something so yeah, that's what I imagine the biggest, most awkward thing to to do would be, at least if that if that was me. Oh, and also shifting too, like shifting with my foot rather than my uh, left hand. Oh right. Used oh to. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And the and the clutch is on the left hand, but then you twist the grip to shift it. Yeah. How many times did you try to shift, twist the grip before you're like, oh yeah, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a few days. Yeah, I was doing that. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah I know. I remember because I've never ridden a, a Vespa or, or any type of scooter, and I remember he was telling me that, and I was just like tripping out because that's I can't. Yeah, because I come from the motorcycle world, so it would be a totally different transition for me to go over to a scooter. <laughs> um. So you. You took the bike home, and then, so back to preparing. You got the route uh, laid down. Were there any other route? Uh, did you use Google Maps at all? Yeah, I used that a lot, too. Okay. Um, yeah, I used that on both the like the map and also satellite images to see if I could kind of tell the road quality, especially on Route 66. Like, some of the road is not very good. So I was, like, following it on the satellite so I could see. But maybe it could give me an idea of um, how the road might be. Yeah. Were you, um, did you have a, a headset or anything to listen to? Because I always use Bluetooth for my GPS. Did you have that, or were you just strictly relying on paper instructions? No, I used the Google Maps on my phone. Um, yeah, and I, I appreciate you uh, giving me the, the Cine headset. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to connect it to my helmet for the ride mm-hmm. um but yeah that would have been uh, that's one thing i wish i had that, that's like one thing that would have been very helpful because i had to stop a lot and like check my route and stuff and at one yeah. point i just got frustrated i ended up duct taping my phone to my gas tank that's awesome that's pretty funny yeah i could imagine i i don't know how i would not be able to go on such a long ride without um, the Bluetooth um, and audio because that's I have relied on that so heavily for all of my trips that it would be difficult for me to do anything otherwise. Um, so what else did you do to prepare? To because you're going to you know you're living um, over on the East Coast now for the school year, so you had mm-hmm. to obviously bring some things. What were some mm-hmm. of the things that you had to pack, and what was did you have any sort of packing strategy? Um, yeah, I packed pretty minimal. Um, so I had a lot of my stuff already over here, so I didn't need to take too much back. Yeah, just stuff for like, uh, basically just packed, um, you know, a couple pairs of pants and um, t shirts, stuff for like hot weather because I knew most of the trip was going to be hot. Um, uh, I packed my camping gear and um, some food, and that's basically it. I think I had a, maybe about Probably less than fifty pounds of uh, gear. 
Okay. And um, as far as camping gear, what what type of camping gear did you pack? I have a backpacking tent um, and then sleeping bag. Uh, it's rated to 20 degrees. Uh, camp stove. Um, yeah, you know, like uh, little dishes and stuff. That's okay. basically it. So in hindsight, would you say that you packed the right amount or would you have done anything differently with what you packed and brought with you? Um, yeah, I think I packed the right amount. Yeah, I didn't have... Actually, I, I left some... I mean, I... Yeah, I left some stuff because um, I didn't need... I didn't need as much as I thought. So I didn't want to... I definitely didn't want to pack too heavy, but I think I, I did well in that way. I didn't have too much or um, too little. Yeah. I don't know if I ever showed you the picture of me when I went up the coast on the motorcycle. Did I show you that picture? Yeah, yeah. So uh, for the listeners who, ha- who don't know... I have gone up and down the coast several times. It's like an annual anniversary trip for me and my girlfriend. We celebrate our anniversary by going on a motorcycle trip. Sometimes, when sometimes I've, even in the water? <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> or, or not yet? <laughs> no, not yet. No okay, water. good, no, good. No water. Um, but when I packed for that trip, it was less than a week. It was like six days. And I had the on both the banana and my previous um, going uh, outing on the Harley packed as tall as me I think that the the luggage and everything went above my head so I'm riding this motorcycle and the gear packed up on it is taller and bigger than me and so in comparison (laughs) David went triple the amount that quadruple the amount that our trip was and packed a fraction of that so I think that was I thought that was pretty entertaining when he sent me a picture of his bike and I was like you only packed that much for 3,000 miles? Yeah. Then it, imagining how, if I would have packed it, I, the bike would have just been overloaded. It would be ridiculous. Yeah, dudes don't have to pack a bunch of clothes like girls do. I have, oh, hey, hey, oh. shots fired. I packed for the campground. Like, I packed a cast iron skillet. Yeah. I packed coffee, like ground Dude, coffee. You got to like fold your tent up stuff. before you pack it, though. You can't pack your tent, like, not folded up. You, I, I oh. saw your thing. You had it, like, around the bike with the wheels sticking out the bottom. Yep, yep. All of the, like, tent poles are just poking out, hitting cars and stuff. Yeah, that's something I... <laughs> I learned from um, from bicycling, like doing bike touring and bike camping and stuff, um, just to like minimize what I'm packing. Nice. So that, that's that's, that helped know. me a lot. Yeah, yeah, Dude, that's fascinating. You know, you know, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, I've wanted to talk about that on the show before, and, and um, we didn't talk about it when we were talking with the Gear Dude, but I a couple of years ago, Guy Martin did the um, Trans Pacific Trail from uh, Canada down to Mexico, right? And those people do that trip and it takes like, I don't know, like a month or two months all on bicycle. And so I'm like, dude, if you can pack everything you need on a bicycle, it just pisses me off when all these guys have to get these huge ADV bikes and get like Uh panniers and tank bags and top boxes that are twice as big as like most uh, aftermarket. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's a very valuable lesson learned from bicycling and the people that can go all the way across the continent on pedal power and just have to pack light because they're going up and down hills 
with their own legs, you know, and they mm-hmm. have to store it on a little tiny bicycle. So that totally makes sense. Like I'm down with that. I don't, I don't know. I don't like this Jay. Like you just strap a couple suitcases <laughs> and your tent on the top and, uh, throw the microwave up on the very top and strap it down, like all that stuff that you guys do. Yeah, I know. Actually, it is, <laughs> and all of my friends are relentlessly roasting and teasing me about it. But, but you know what? When I, when I, they're at my campsite, y- y'all can't have any fresh brewed coffee, okay? <laughs> and you cannot have my egg breakfast, scrambled egg breakfast that I make in the morning. Right. Okay, so. <laughs> so keep your lips shut or get with the program. <laughs> so, um, as far as looking back on what you packed, David, was there anything that you wish that you had brought? Hmm. Dang, I think it was no. I think it was pretty good. Um, yeah, I think it was pretty good. I, I can't think of anything that I, that I really like regret leaving. Your girlfriend's like back here in LA screaming. <laughs> what? I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> oh man, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm really impressed, and that's that, that's really good to hear. It sounds like you really thought out your trip, which is something that sometimes people don't always do, thinking about like what they will need and what they don't need. So that another thing that I'm really really impressed with. Um, so, getting into the meat of the ride, what what was it like? Like starting out, like walk us through through what it was like. Okay. Um, well, yeah, the day I left, um, I was getting ready to leave. I was putting all my stuff on my back, I mean, on my bike. And I was like the first time I really had packed everything up, like getting ready to go. And at first it was like really confusing because also I don't have like proper um, motorcycle bags. And um, Jay gave me the saddle bags, which was very helpful. But my other bags, just like tote bags. Actually, I got two, um, insulated bags from uh, Trader Joe's, which are really good. They're only like $5, but they're like really good. Um, and they kept all my food nice and everything. So I was like strapping and I couldn't figure out how to do it. And I was like, what am I doing? And I finally like got everything on there. And yeah, and then I just, I was like nervous. I was like, man, this is really happening right now. Like I'm getting ready to do this. And like, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, so I was like nervous, you know, I had breakfast with my girlfriend and stuff and then you know, I put some gas in there and I was like all right you know it's time to go and then yeah I just I you know I just went I got on the um the 10 freeway and I just started heading east and I was like wow this is really happening <laughs> and <it> was, <laughs> that was amazing After, yep yeah, I remember when you told me and I was just like oh man I was just like I, like I'm not like I don't believe in God or anything but I was praying to the motorcycle gods for you because I was definitely like I was nervous too because not that I didn't, I had total faith in you, but that, you know, it's just an ang- anxious feeling. You're taking a, a huge step in, on this journey, not knowing what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I said bye to my mom and bye to everybody. And How was your wow. family? How were how your like reactions to people that knew you? Because that's like a kind of insane trip to go on. <laughs> um, I really, you know, I'm, I feel really blessed. Um, my mom. At first, she was like, no, 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 you can't. But, you know, we talked about it, and I told her, like, how much I planned and, like, like everything I was doing and, like, what I would do if something went wrong. And then she finally, like, she accepted it, and she said, all right, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. You know, you go and do it. And then, yeah, my girlfriend also, you know, I feel so blessed. She was 100% supportive of me on the trip. 
And she's like, you can do it. You know, she's always awesome. like giving me confidence and stuff. See, I think the listeners should take note. If you have a partner who's not supportive of your motorcycles, maybe you should uh, reassess your relationship. I think that having supportive partners and and being a motorcyclist is 100% a huge, like, really positive thing because it makes your life easier. And when someone supports you and it isn't doubtful of you. So that's, that's really good that you have that in your life. Yeah. I got a question yeah. too. Um you know, you got your you got your goodbyes and your your final um you know, blessings from everybody before you left. When did it hit you like or you know, were you prepared for like man, like everybody I said bye to everybody but like you don't want to say goodbye for the wrong reasons, you know what I'm saying? Like did it mm. when you were when did it hit you that man, this could be like a possibly life altering trip or this could be like one of the best things that's ever happened to me like you said as soon as you hit it hit the 10 you couldn't believe like here i go when did it finally sink in and what were your thoughts like halfway through um it sunk in like way before i left i think i knew it was like a very serious thing it can be extremely dangerous to do and like i was preparing like with that in mind i was like i was taking it very seriously um and like halfway through the trip i think like once i got to the midwest um i finally started like hit hit a little bit of weather and stuff and i said like this is a you know this is very serious and yeah this could uh, yeah this could be dangerous i think we Um, had that because you were checking in with me like almost daily on instagram and I, I remember like the the tone of your like messages started to slowly change as you started to get tired and <laughs> deeper into it. But uh, yeah. well, I, I'm curious as far as you mentioned like planning for things that go wrong. What were some maybe like uh, a backup emergency plans that you had in mind, and like how did you prepare for some of those things? Um. Well, I don't know how. And- you know, thank God I didn't have to to use any of them. But like my plan was like if like for example, you know, if I got in a wreck, or if my um, you know, if, can you guys still hear me? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, if I got in a wreck or like if my motorcycle broke down or something, you know, I would try to find a place where I could leave it, and then you know travel the rest of the way if I had to get a plane ticket or whatever, you know, get the and get the bike shit back. So that, that was like my plan for that um and also you know i have family um in oklahoma and i got a pretty you know pretty good network of people around the country that could help me out or i could go somewhere you know if i was really in trouble Mm. so that was my that was my plan that's good to know that's good to know so then um you said you were planning on taking the trip on most of the route 66 up yeah up there how how was the road? What was some of the experiences on that? Um, it was really amazing, actually. Um, I use I'll just like so my route. Um, I took the ten uh, to Highway sixty two to the Arizona state line, and then I took um, actually I forty until I got to uh, Williams, Arizona, like where the near where the Grand Canyon is, and then I got on Route sixty six, and then from there. It's really cool. It's like it parallels the interstate in a lot of places. And like you can tell like the history. I mean, you feel like the history of that road. Like I highly recommend it. You're going to see a lot of stuff you'll never see from the interstate. 
a lot of like rural areas and like little towns and stuff. Um, and just like the, you can see like how the road was built. It's like this interesting like concrete surface in a lot of places. And you can like tell you're on Route 66 just by how the road actually looks. Hmm. Um, it's it's really cool. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Yeah, and in California, you- I don't know about Arizona, but in California, they have big, huge. Uh, like bar the shield like route 66 so you don't forget where you're on but it's funny that you took um 40 because that's actually what replaced 66 i don't you know i don't know when route 40 was built but that's what replaced it and yeah it in in many many ways uh 66 parallels that um still even here in california i've driven 66 um out you know along there and and it's so cool what is still on route 66 versus the junk that's on 40 and sometimes they're only like a mile apart you know what i'm saying but 66 has such a different feel yeah, yeah. i remember multiple times um david would be like yeah man like it's so scenic on this route and like yeah. seeing so many interesting things that was really cool to hear i'm glad you experienced that because that really i think adds to it, the enjoyment of a trip. Yeah. Well, and there's a, there's a lot of nostalgia along 66 that's not along 40 since 40 replaced it and most of the stuff is new. And when it goes down, it's like they'll destroy it and put something even newer up where 66 was like kind of abandoned and you still have like these, sometimes you'll hit these old roadside attractions or just weird old rundown communities that used to be, you know, part of the mother road, you know? So it, I think that's a rad, if I were to go across country, 66 would be probably the majority of stuff I would try to hit if I, if I didn't have like a time period to get back there, you know? Mm. You said that the road surface was pretty interesting and, and good. Did you encounter any like rough patches? Because I know when I, Ashley and I went east a little bit, we did try to find the Route 66 and it, quite a bit. And I don't remember if it was Arizona. I think it was still California side. Um, they were shut down because they were either renovating it or flooding had kind of washed out the road. Did you encounter anything like that along 66? Um, not really. Um, there's a stretch between, I mean, in, um, see New Mexico, like when you, like before you get to Texas, that's like 23 miles of all dirt. And actually, I mean, I mean, depending on who you are, I guess that'd be fun or challenging. So, but anyway, did did you take cool. that, that route? Yeah. Oh, how was that for you? That was fun. You know, I took it slow. Um, I'm still, like, trying to, trying to learn how to ride on dirt and stuff. Um, but, yeah, that was, it was really cool also, um, like, the scenery and stuff. Yeah, it was really nice. I wasn't thinking about, um, like, the challenge parts. I was having so much fun. It wasn't, like, I didn't nice. feel like it, like... That's a good, that's a great, that's a sign that you're uh, doing the right thing when you, you are enjoying and in the moment. That, so that was your first time on dirt? Pretty much, yeah. Wow, wow. <laughs> it was 22 miles, trip. first time on dirt. That's significant. That's impressive. Yeah, on this trip, it was like first time. The first time I, I split lanes on the freeway, too. Oh, wow. There was a lot of firsts on this trip. That's so awesome. That's, I, I, wow, that's really, really cool. So you never so, got out there and busted any, like, one-wheel lane splitting on the, the P200 then? No, I never <laughs> tried. <laughs> That would actually be a fun bike to take on dirt and stuff, too, I think. Yeah, it can do it, too. Yeah, I might do it when I get back. Nice. So what were, uh, because I know you had, uh, when we were talking on Instagram, you talked a lot about 
a lot of your interesting experiences. Can you share some of the highlights and maybe after the highlights, we can discuss some of the pros and cons of the trip? Mm. Well, the highlights was definitely seeing the country on a motorcycle. Um, Cause I have, you know, I've driven across country in a car a few times and it's real different. Like when you're on a motorcycle, you're really like in it and like you see like the fabric, of this country and like you feel the way you feel how the climate changes you know going through the desert going through the plains and then coming over here to the east coast like you smell things you smell the farms and the barbecue and you know in oklahoma and texas and stuff and like it was it that was really a profound experience and like also like meeting all the different people like it's amazing to ride a motorcycle so far like people's accent starts changing and stuff and like the convert i mean you have a motorcycle you know people want to talk to you and like the, <laughs> the conversations and stuff i had were, did you, you frequently know, get how often would you say that 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 happened um like almost every yeah almost every time i stopped for fuel or i stopped you know get something to eat or something like people you know they come up to me and want to talk especially when i got further away and they can see like that california license plate and they're like damn uh, you're far away from home like, you wrote that from cali like that. Yeah, it, was, it was it was fun yeah that's that's really cool yeah i forgot about that having that california license plate i mean and definitely your bike is loaded up so it looks like you're going on a trip um how about yeah. the camping did you camp all all the way through the entire trip um, no, I didn't. Um, I would camp like, you know, a couple days and then I'd get a motel or something. And then like actually on the second half of the trip, you know, I was getting like way too tired and I just had to get motels at that point. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't, yeah, it wasn't like a good idea to like, keep trying to camp. And at the places that you did camp, did you um, seek those out before the trip or did you just kind of find it along the way? Yeah, um... Well, I knew the first night I camped in Joshua Tree, I knew that one. But then after that, I found this um, really cool website that has, like, all the different campgrounds in the in the U.S. I think it's, like, uscampgrounds.info. It's a huge map, like, all the campgrounds, and I could, um, you know, plan, like, where to go. And that, that helped a lot. And then um, how many miles did you plan to travel each day? Um... I said before I left, I said I wanted to do 300, but like once I actually saw like what it was like, um, 250 was more realistic, like 200 to 250. That's as and, far as I could go. And how did that, that feel for you? Like what was, what, what tired you out? Like by the end of the day, what, like for me, it would always be my wrists. My wrists were always like throbbing at the end. I think the most I've done in a day was four little almost 400 and I, I felt it in my palms and my wrists mm. yeah so. absolutely yeah my hands like I mean everything like I think one the thing like that would tell me I like, guess time to stop my knees just when my knees were just aching and I knew like I yeah it's time to it's time to um you know call it a day yeah what about like mentally did you feel mentally tired or was it more of a body type yeah that too um that's that's something I kind of underestimated because, um, I mean, to have to focus, like, for so long, like, every day, you know, 8 to 12 hours, yeah, it's really mentally um, um, exhausting. So, yeah. like, when I, when I found myself, like, not being able to, like, hold my attention or, like, when I was wandering, like, my, you know, daydreaming or something, then I knew, like, it's time to take a rest or time to take, you know, stop for the day. That's good. That's good. And then as far as, like... Um 
keeping yourself, keeping your energy going. Did, did you drink any caffeine or was there anything that you did to, to help so that it wasn't as challenging? Um, well, during, in the, another thing I did before I left, I kind of like prehydrated. I knew I was going to be really hot, like in the desert. So I was making sure I was really well hydrated. And then also like while I was riding, I had the camel back, um, you know, the whole trip and I was drinking water as much as I could to stay hydrated. Um, as far as caffeine goes, um, actually I stopped drinking coffee before my trip. I cut way, I drink like tea and stuff. Um, because like I, I, I was reading like somewhere, some article that some, a guy said like it's, if you're going to do like endurance riding, um, you should not, not drink coffee. Cause if you actually do need the caffeine, like mm. it's like, it, it works better. Like if you don't mm. already, if you already have like the tolerance to it. Yeah. And I, I really, I, I, um, I don't recommend caffeine because I mean, to like, just get yeah, just go to sleep or something. Take a nap or something, because if you're already tired or sleeping, you drink caffeine, and you get on your bike, you're gonna make the same decisions you would yes. make that you're tired, but you would make them like faster. Right. Uh, that's, that's actually a really really good point, and I never thought of that. But thinking back on my long trips, where I remember I did a long trip and I actually did it solo, and I was getting to the point where I was getting exhausted, and. Um, I just kind of loaded up on the on the caffeine and I did the same thing. I noticed I saw myself like reacting and, and not thinking it through, but I was reacting mm-hmm. faster. And I think that's a good thing definitely for people to keep in mind is like you said, just pause and, and take a break instead of just, you know, because for me, my always go to is I'm terrible. I always go to the Red Bull. I always go to caffeine. So it's good, really good to hear that you had a lot of sound decisions um, along the way. I, I don't even think I would make the smart decisions <laughs> you made. <laughs> so, um, so what? A, anything, anything else interesting? Like, what were some of the standouts along the the path? Because I mean, you went through how many states did you go through? Mm, I think it's like eleven. Okay, eleven, something like that. So that's quite a lot of different like uh, cultures and and types of of you know people and and so yeah definitely I'm curious to hear about that. Yeah, um, well the desert was beautiful. I love the desert. That was that was really cool um, to see that parts of it I hadn't seen before, especially from Route 66. Um, and the Midwest was really cool. Something I like was a surprise to me is how beautiful um, Oklahoma is. Especially mm-hmm. for, like for camping and stuff, they have a lot of free camping, a lot of like really cool nature, and like, it's really green. Um, that was that was really nice. Um, stand, oh yeah, coming through like the rural part of like Indiana was cool. I saw these like huge, huge tractors like I'd never seen before. It was like almost like a building like coming down the street, and a lot of like a lot of stuff like that. Um, what yeah, was your like, favorite? Huh? What was your favorite? Do you have a favorite state that you went through? Um, I think Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Let me see. From, yeah, Texas Panhandle and Oklahoma were really nice. They take really good care of Route 66, too, in those states. I think that was, that was my favorite. That's really cool. Uh, so you said you had mentioned some weather. So besides the heat, was there any other type of weather that you encountered? Yeah, actually, um... 
I was trying to outrun this thunderstorm for like two days, and it finally caught me when I got to um, Illinois, and it was just dumping, dumping. They, and they had like the severe thunderstorm warnings and stuff, and like I almost got caught in that. Like that was that was like the closest call um and also wind too that's another thing that like exhausted me a lot on the trip was just dealing with that wind a lot um yeah and like the planes and stuff um did yeah, you have a weather thing did that bike come with a fairing a, a windscreen yeah it does have a little windscreen but it wasn't enough that's another thing like next time i want to get a better windscreen because that was really that was really tough um with those headwinds and stuff it was really, really tiring to deal yeah. with that. It's not much more than like a fake number plate sort of above the headlight. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you said that like packing, as far as packing, you had done a pretty good job. What about preparing with your gear? Do you think that your gear was adequate for the trip? Yeah, it was good. Um, like it was good for the, I got um, a mesh jacket, a uh, built mesh jacket um, off of Craigslist and some, um, like hot weather uh, riding pants, and they they worked really well. Yeah, that was good. I just took the you know I took the liner out and everything, and I wore a bicycle jersey under um under my jacket, and I, I was really I was pretty comfortable in that mm. way. Did you have any sort of riding boots or just like regular regular um, shoes? Yeah, I just had hiking boots on. Okay. My waterproof hiking boots. So um, when you rode through the rain, what was, how did that feel? Like, was, did you stay dry? Did your gear stay dry? How did the bike perform? It was, yeah, all that was fine, uh, thankfully. Um, yeah, I had a, also had a rain jacket, um, like a, you know, windbreaker, and I put that under my mesh, um, my mesh jacket. And yeah, I didn't get too wet at all. Um, thankfully, it was fine. And what about your gear? Was your gear, I mean, your, um, everything you packed on the bike? Was that was did yeah. anything get wet or was that was that all, all good too? That was that was pretty good too and um you know thankfully again like I I didn't have to ride through like really severe rain but yeah all my gear was fine. Nice, nice. And so you you rode the bike through the rain, right? That's. Well, no. When it was like crazy raining like that, I stopped for the day, and oh, then the okay. next day it was just like drizzling a little bit, and it was fine. Okay. How did your tires hold up? I mean, you you did basically a uh, whole cross country from coast to coast, pretty much. And as Jay and I know, according to some website, motorcycle websites, your tires (laughs) shouldn't last more than like seven (laughs) hundred miles. (laughs) So, how did your tires hold up? From I mean, did you have to stop and change seven times between here and there? Uh, no, I didn't. I was checking them like after like halfway through the trip out, I was checking them like constantly to make sure they weren't damaged or anything. Um, but I do need new tires now, um, for sure. Um, I would change them out. And the, like before, I, huh? I forget on the they were the if they were the stock ones, they were like not one hundred percent knobby either. They're like a little bit ro- uh, mostly road and a little bit dirt, right? So they at least yeah. had like some good wear. Are they like totally bald now? Uh, the rear, it's like it should be changed. The uh, the front one's a little okay, but again, like if I was gonna do it again, I would make sure I have like new tires before I left. Yeah, because that's one thing. Like that, you're I'm, I never know uh, how to gauge that stuff because the tires I have, um, whoops, the tires I have, I ride. Uh, 
weird, you know, if you're not always, if you're not booking down mostly freeways, which you were, the centers can get flat, you know what I'm saying? And they can wear faster in certain spots. Whereas like, you know, you're carving canyons and stuff, or like you pick a really twisty route and you're going to get a lot more wear on the sides. Although you're, your going is going to be slower because you can't just flat out fly at 100 miles an hour the whole way or whatever, um, which I know you legally did not do for uh, for nope. any police officers listening out there. But yeah, like the tire wear is one thing is super hard to gauge for me because on on lighter bikes like the ones I used to have, um, I didn't really have my big bikes for that long. Like I had a V Star at one time that weighed probably 8,000 pounds, but I didn't have it long enough to even know how the tires were going to wear on that thing. But since yours was a 650 and you had a good load on it, I was just wondering if it may, if you know, that's one thing you don't want to have to have change like right in the middle, especially like when you say you're hitting some rainstorms and trying to beat some inclement weather, like, you know, at least get ahead of it or something. That's the last thing you want to be worrying about. Like, am I going to, lose air all of a sudden and just be stuck out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> you know what i mean with yeah. no, no motorcycle shops in sight yeah yeah speaking of which you didn't have any it sounded like because i remember multiple times you were like this bike is handling great like you didn't have any issues did you have to add any oil or or check any anything on the bike along the way no that i mean that thing's a beast it's a it's an amazing like marvel of engineering like it didn't give me any problems at all like, i just you know i was just checking the oil and like doing like routine stuff you know like cleaning the chain like tensioning and stuff and it yeah it was perfect yeah nice it's how many a, miles a, did wait, you get it's a 2017 though too right mm-hmm. yeah yeah how many, how many I'm sorry. yeah how many miles did it come with on it uh it had a little over i want to say 5000 Okay. Yeah. So he's got like a brand new bike compared to most of the stuff that you and I tend to junk around with, you know? Yeah, that's why I was wondering if he, uh, how many miles, because then the breaking period. I was going to say to do a cross country trip as the breaking period <laughs> would be interesting to do. <laughs> yeah. um, so, what about like, I know a couple of times you had mentioned drivers and experiences. What compared, because I, you and I, you know, commuted in LA. And we know how hectic it can be out here. What mm. was that compared to other states? Well, I'm going to say this, um, and I, I wouldn't have believed it before, but L.A., California has, like, pretty good drivers. Um, <laughs> as far as, like, especially, I mean, because they're, like, I mean, you know how it is, but, like, they're they're used to seeing motorcyclists way more, I think. You know, they're, like, looking out a little bit more than in most of the other places I went through. And... Yeah, it's like, and like I say, like I don't want to like hate, but like Ohio had the worst drivers. Oh the wow! Worst. I was like the rudest and like the most dangerous drivers. Like yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Did you have any interactions with people like, you know, harassing you or anything, or was it just people just not paying attention? I think mostly not paying attention and just like on the interstate, everyone wants to get where they're going as fast as possible. So a lot of people speeding and, you know, the KLR, like you can't go that fast. Um, So there's people, I think, speeding, just being impatient. Um, I didn't really have any, thankfully, any really aggro drivers I was dealing with on the trip. I only got honked at once in like 2,000 miles. (laughs) That's, That's not bad. That's not bad. That's pretty good. 
They probably um, saw the California plate and were like, who's this bozo? Because <laughs> that can work against you too, like having a especially California plate. Because I think m- almost most of the other states hate us for one reason or another. But yeah, you see a driver coming through and you're like, oh, it's like it's almost like when you see Florida plates coming through California. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that definitely had a, you had a target on your back, whether or not you knew it, you know, like. California, what the hell? <laughs> so, um, so you said it took you two weeks to to get right. Was it was it exactly two weeks to get? Oh, uh, it was eleven days. Eleven days. So was that that was a day ahead of your your plans? Yeah, a little bit, a few days oh, okay. ahead. Yeah, that's good. Um, so looking back on it, how was that when you finally got there? And like, because I know that's. I know for me, like when I've just done my trips up the coast, like I always get like this feeling of one, when I get home, I'm just like, dang, like there's so much to process. And I imagine you had so much to process. So what yeah. was like the experience once you got to your destination? Well, it mentally? was, it was, it was incredible. Like cause I was in, on these really, un- I was, I came back in the dark You know, I came through Massachusetts on these like, um, these rural roads through the in the dark, you know, these winding roads and really dark, um, you know, dark night and stuff. <laughs> I'll stop saying that. <laughs> but yeah, um, but like once I came down, through was it dark? I don't remember if you said it was dark. <laughs> it was dark. <laughs> oh man, it was dark. But yeah, I came through Connecticut, and you know, I finally came through a road, and I finally started to see things I recognized again, and like that was that was that was amazing. You know, because I have to come from so far and then finally started to see stuff. And then I came, actually, I came to the school here and, you know, I met up with some of my friends, you know, and I hadn't seen them in months. And then I was telling them about my trip and, you know, we we're just catching up and stuff. That was, it was really beautiful, you know. And I called my mom, my girlfriend, I told them I made it and stuff. And it was, that was really cool. You know, so I was so imagine tired, but, you um, had to have just like this feeling of victory because, you set your mind to something that you've never done before that a lot of people have not done within a month of owning a motorcycle. Yeah. I mean, that was what that's why I wanted to get you on the show, because I felt that your story was like so impressive as a motorcyclist that you were determined. You saw it through. You really It sounds like you really planned it out a lot. Um, you paced yourself and you didn't give up. So. I, I definitely want to recognize you for that because it it inspired me for you know when I pr- plan to do my cross country trip just to think of you and like I can't complain like the, if I start bitching I'm gonna be like dude David did this <laughs> you know a month after having his KLR so that so looking back like what what if someone came to you and was like hey I want to go cross country what 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 would you be now that you're a veteran. Um, now that you are experienced, what would you say? I would say go for it, but, you know, plan and take your time, um, you know, prepare yourself and your motorcycle, you know, prepare it mechanically, all that stuff. And also, um, luggage is so important to get some good luggage. Like that, I would say that, yeah. Would you do it again just for fun? Like if you knew you didn't have to do an 11 day trip, like if you were trying to do an iron butt or something where you only had to do a thousand miles in 24 hours, would you try to do 
something like that? Or are you like, man, I'm done. My, like, I'm sure your butt hurt for like a month afterwards. And it's like, mm. you know, like it's, it's, it's kind of nice to get out of the seat after spending almost two weeks in it, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know um, how interested I'd be in that type of endurance riding, but I would definitely, I, you know, I would leave tomorrow if I could on a trip. But, you know, I would take like a month to do it, a year to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I'll do it like that. Yeah, definitely. That's nice. Yeah, uh, more scenic. Of- I mean, yeah, that sounds like a lot more fun actually than like hook, huffing it for mm-hmm. <laughs> straight for yeah, a thousand totally. miles. <laughs> so, do you have any plans on the horizon in the future? Like, do you have maybe something, not anytime soon or necessar- necessarily, but like something that you, now that you have the KLR, like, do you have plans for like trips to go on the bike? Yeah. Um, I definitely like to ride in other countries. You know, I want to go up to Canada, maybe, um, you know, down um, down south to, um, to Florida. I want to ride to Alaska, mm. maybe, like up to Alaska and back down someday. But, yeah, we'll see. That's really cool. So, like, as far as you, you said, you're you're riding it every day in in Connecticut now? Yeah. Yes. Are you planning on once it starts snowing? What are you just gonna pack um, it in, or are you gonna try to do the snow? No, I don't think so. I think yeah, once it starts snowing, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to store it. Um, I'm gonna, you know, because I'm in the sculpture school, I'm gonna call it a sculpture and try to get it in my studio and just keep it in here for the winter. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. <laughs> very nice, dual purpose. Just paint on the gas tank. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, not many people ride up there. Some people do put studs in the tires, but I mean, just out to commute around, that ain't, that's not going to really work that well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's probably not going to be fun to be outside when it's like negative 16 and you're like, yeah, I'm just going to run down to the store and grab, you're like, no, dude, I'm going <laughs> to, no. I'm going to be inside by the fireplace here. Um, yeah. yeah, no, that's, it's a pretty incredible, I think it was like Thaddeus P. Marlowe who said something to the effect of like one day outside in nature can compensate for like 364 days inside. And I think what, mm. what he was saying was like, uh, people can write a novel about going out and doing uh, an exciting hike when the rest of your life is cramped inside all year round. Right. And so I think for you, you've written already like a, a whole chapter of your life, just taking this 11 day trip. And you probably, like Jay was saying, you've done a lot more and seen a lot more than people have just commuting around their neighborhood or people that have never mm-hmm. had the audacity to, to do something or the courage to even, you know, go out of the state lines or something. So it's really cool to hear your story that A, you were doing it for a purpose. B, you did it with, uh, you know, the most minimalist gear when all these ADV guys are like, man, I had my like R1200 with my trailer hooked up and all this, (laughs) you know, luggage. It's like, no, you don't need that. And you did it on one of the most, well, soon to be forgotten roads in America, but the original, um, you know, mother road, they call it, but yeah, one of the most original, uh, highways inter- interstate highways in America uh, is such a cool sounding trip. And I'm sure you could like write a book about it if you wanted to. And if you do come back on and let us know when it's publishing. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, so I know we're probably wrapping up towards the end of this. I just wanted to ask like, um, now that you have this bike, do you have any plans for like eventually down the road, getting adding more bikes to your collection or, or are you satisfied with just this or is there something that you have your eye on 
Yeah, I want to get an Africa twin next, Ooh, I think. Yes. And a new one or, or an old one? one? New or old? What? A new one or an old one? Uh, I think the new one. I haven't seen the old one. Mm. Yeah, the new ones are, are pretty slick. I like those. Yeah. So you want, you want to stick to the ADV style bike? Yeah. Nice. And and then also like a vintage, like two-stroke motorcycle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be cool. Nice. I, I totally think that you should at some point rally out that P2 202 and turn that into like some sort of <laughs> motocross scooter that, you know, you take on. If it's, not, you know, maybe short adventures through the wilderness, but still adventures nonetheless. Like that would be so rad to see that thing out there bombing trails and stuff. I think, you know what I think? I think you should do that to, to the Vespa and then I will get Nobby's on the banana and then we should like just go on some crazy off-road adventure together and it'll be like two misfit bikes on the trails. Yeah, I think that would be pretty cool. All right. So I think that's that was most of the the questions I had for you. Is there anything you wanted to add to to your story to, that the listeners should should hear or know about? Um I just said motorcycling community is amazing, like all all across this country. You know, um, you know, meet different riders on the on the road, and then also UJ. Thank you so much, like for everything, like for encouraging me, for your advice, uh, for your equipment, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, no I really problem. appreciate that. Well, that's the thing. I think, like for me as a motorcyclist, it's like there's a lot of things that in when I first started riding things that I wish people would have told me and I really do believe in like paying it forward so those bags that you had were actually from No Nitrous Chris who is a listener of the show and he had reached out to me and he told me hey I have some these bags lying around uh could you get used to them so I was like yeah I mean I'll take I'll take them off your hands and so I had another set of bags on my bike already and I was like okay I don't know if I'm gonna put these ones on so I kept them and I was like, I had a feeling right away. I was like, these are going to go to someone who needs it. And then when you told me about your trip, I was like, you need saddlebags. <laughs> so so actually shout out to No Nitrous Chris for that because those bags went from sitting in his garage or wherever and they literally got to go cross country, which I think is so cool. Yeah, that's like, pretty I rad. Think that, yeah, I, think, I told, I messaged him and I was like, dude, check this out. My buddy's going cross country using your bags and he was super st- stoked about that. Yeah. So He's, that's in, just he's a great- in Wisconsin, man. You could return them. Just make a, <laughs> a like a 600 mile trip to return them. <laughs> that, I think that kind of shows full circle how connected the motorcycle community really is and like how we do try to, for the most part, take care of our own. I know I do. And so when someone's on two wheels, I always want to help them out in whatever way I can. I know the misfits are like that too. And most of the people I've met along the way have been exactly the same way. You know, I have a friend, um, Sonia, who I, my handlebars got tweaked in my motorcycle accident and I messaged her. I was like, do you know anyone who has an extra set of bars? And she's like, oh, no, I have a bunch of stuff that you can use for your bike. And she just brought me down a care package from Monterey. And she came down. She rode her bike down and gave it to me. That's and I right. was just like, yeah, I was so blessed. So I'm really glad that, you know, you had that positive experience. And I hope that you have many, many more because I'm very excited 
just having seen you go on this trip gave me so much inspiration for my writing as far as things that I want to do and accomplish. And it definitely gave me a boost of hope for, for that for the future. Yeah. Cool. And next next time you're in LA, stop out and punch us both in the face. Say hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's actually a good question. Are you gonna are you gonna ever ride back back home when you're Yeah, done I'm with thinking school? about it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll nice. see uh, you know, back in I mean next yeah, summer uh, twenty twenty next year. Nice. Nice. Maybe. Yeah, well let me know. Maybe we can uh, plan something, maybe I can meet you halfway. That would be kinda of cool. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Cool, cool. Uh, Junkie, does you have any? From a motorcycling or an art standpoint, if you want to give out your social media stuff, we'll, uh, we'll stick okay. it in there. Yeah, my uh, Instagram is davidroy.jpg and my website is davidroy.net. Awesome. And what does that, does that have a motorcycling and art or is it mostly art? Uh, website's mostly art right now, um, but there's pictures from my trip and stuff on my Instagram. Nice. And everybody, you heard him, check it out. And that'd be kind of a fun go back through, scroll, see, you know, listen to this episode and then see what you were talking about. And um, yeah, to check in with you to see what goes on in the near future. Jay, I'm going to bounce out of here. Let you guys keep talking if you're going to keep yakking. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Creative Writing. Our guests on this show were none other than Jasper Heathfield, interviewed by Chris Wiggins. Talk in the mic a little bit, see if you can... Hello? Yeah, that works. I hope they can hear me. So, I am here with little jamming Jasper Heathfield. And also Jay's good friend, David Roy, who migrated here from SoCal to Connecticut for college, because otherwise it'd be a terrible idea hi uh, this is david roy and i'm in new haven connecticut oh oh my god (laughs) so thank you jasper and david for coming on the show this week and i hope you enjoyed listening to their stories one story of a boy who has some dreams and a lot of growing to do and already a champion in many many ways and one a new traveler a uh, new to the fold motorcyclist and if you're up there in Connecticut or anywhere nearby I know we have a patron up there and some couple listeners up there make sure you stop by and say hi to David check out his KLR and uh, show him some good rides to take up there in New England especially when he's sitting around the fireplace this winter trying to keep warm Thanks, Chris Wiggins and Jay, also for your support during this week's episode. And if you would like to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash creative writing. Check out our benefits tiers there. We have uh, starting at a buck all the way up to 150 bucks. Uh, if you want to uh, participate and, you know, do more than listen, uh, that's how you do it. Um, if you want to email something to the show, please submit your spooky spokes. I, I'm begging you to please submit something uh this year if you've got a scary story if you go on a spooky ride if you go back and listen to last week's show with miranda young and you hear about her ride through that creepy forest that she went on i think that's inspiration enough uh email it to creative writing podcast at gmail.com you can also call and leave us a voicemail at area code 740-563-2858 
And yeah, if you've got an event that's coming up or something cool or someone cool that you know that you think we should have on the show, uh, email us and let us know. And in the meantime, get out there and ride. I know I felt like crap this week until I got out on two wheels and it turned me 180. I mean, I felt instantly better. There's a reason they call it two wheel therapy. And all I read in the comics this week is about how it's the end of summer. I feel like it just started. Why does it have to go so soon, right? So anyway, peace and grease. Uh, Tell your niece, don't feed the geese. This is Junk Out. Creative Writing 191.